Glad to be back with you folks. It's always a joy and a privilege to be here at Living Hope Bible Church. And this seems low to me. Either that or I've grown six inches since last week. Uh, so if I look down, you know, trying to read my Bible, is, does this adjust? Yeah, yes, does it? Yes. Okay. Ah, that's better. Good. Thank you, gentlemen. Get it up there so my bifocals will hit it. I got a new pair of glasses this week so I can see really great. You know, just <clears throat> that's, that'll work. So long as it stays there, we're in business. All right. Last week it was at a good height, and I'm... Short people or something. I, you're as tall as I am. I, <laughs> uh, it's, we're glad to be back here with you, as I said. And Pastor Joe, I understand, is uh, surviving over there in India and sending emails and kind of keeping you up on what's going on. I presume that uh, you've been praying for him, and we trust that the Lord's going to bring him back uh, with an eagerness to share what God has done as he's been over there in that great land. You're probably aware that India is about one-third the size of America with more than three times as many people, which is, it's an amazing country. My wife and I have had the privilege of being there twice, ministering, and uh, loved it both times. Just really enjoyed the country, enjoyed the people, but uh, a desperate need in that land for the gospel of Christ. So you be praying for your pastor. Uh, we, did, uh, we do have a little bit of literature for the seminary, and it's on your back table. We brought it last week, and some is still there. And we would be happy for you to pick it up. If you have any questions, be sure to ask my wife. She has all the answers, and we would be happy to talk with you about it. There is one activity coming up on October the 21st. If only you didn't have anything going on that weekend. Uh, you do have some things going on that weekend. You're aware with the potential youth pastor and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it seemed to me there was one more thing happening, but I don't remember. What is it? A men's fellowship. I knew there was something else going on. But uh, we do have, if you're not involved in any of those things, there is an activity going on at the seminary, an all-day church seminar on, uh, in the morning on how do you find new people and get them into your church and keep them in your church. And then in the afternoon on leadership. So if you're interested and you're not involved in one of those other activities, we'd invite you to get some material about that. Uh, I don't want you, however, if you're involved in a ministry here, you ought to be here. So I'm not trying to take you away from that. But uh, if you're not involved, we'd be happy to have you be involved in that. Last week, as as was mentioned, I did preach a, a sermon that basically was part one. And today is part two. And the sermons in both days come out of the Old Testament book of Haggai. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Haggai, we'll give you a few moments to find it. It's on page 1032. (laughs) If you happen to have the same kind of Bible I do. But uh, it's in the Old Testament toward the end of the Old Testament. After Haggai, you've got Zechariah and Malachi. That's it. And then you're ready to move into the New Testament. So Haggai is a relatively short book right toward the end of your Old Testament. It's one of those books that we normally don't sit down and read through every weekend, you know, just for enjoyment. But it's a prophet that speaks, I believe, very clearly to our hearts and our minds even today. And in this day in which we are, we sometimes need encouragement from other individuals. I want you to imagine with me two men, both of whom are in the hospital, both of whom are flat on their back. One, however, is able to sit up for one hour per, per day uh, in order to clear fluid from his lungs. 
the other man can't even get up at all. He's flat on his back all the time. That's just the way it is. And as the days go by, the one man who's able to sit up for one hour per day, he is near a window. And so he looks out the window and begins describing for his roommate what he sees outside the window. Uh, They talk about various things, but he mentions that as he looks out the window, uh, he sees a park. And there at the park, there's a lovely lake. And and there are ducks and swans that are swimming on the lake. And and children sometimes come with little sailboats. And they put them out on the water and they sail their boats. And he describes young people, hand in hand, boys and girls, as uh, young lovers as they're wandering through the park and walking around the lake. And this goes on day after day. He describes the trees that are there, the grand old trees with the fullness of their leaves. And he even mentions that in the distance, you can see the skyline of the rest of the city. One morning, as a nurse came in to bring some water to these men, she observed that the man next to the window during the night had died, died peacefully in his sleep. And after the man's body was removed from the room, the other man who was away from the window asked if he could be moved so he could have the bed next to the window. And so the nurse got some attendance and they moved him over so that he was able to be close to the window. And after they left the room, the man with great pain and anxieties and and, and just a lot of stress turned and twisted his racked body and finally was able to look out the window for himself. And he saw a brick wall. When the nurse came back in, he asked, why did my roommate make up all those things? And the nurse responded, He knew that you needed encouragement. You ever need encouragement? We all do from time to time. Uh, We need encouragement just because of the daily pressures of life. Don't we have a lot of them? If you don't, I'd like to know what your secret is. We need encouragement just in our families. Parents to get along with kids, and kids to get along with siblings, and husbands to get along with wives. We need encouragement. We need encouragement in the work and ministry of the church. Because it's easy to get discouraged as we have the the pressures and problems that come in. It's easy to get discouraged. We need encouragement. And encouragement's not new. You know, we, we sometimes think that modern psychology invented encouragement. And that's not the case at all. Way back in ancient times, people knew that we got discouraged. And the prophet Haggai knew that people were going to get discouraged. He had encouraged them in chapter 1. He had challenged them to get their priorities right. He had encouraged them to get busy and build the temple of God, which they should have been doing after they returned from the Babylonian captivity. And they had responded. 
They had gotten the materials and they had started building the temple. We see that at the end of chapter 1. Turn there. Look at the end of chapter 1, verse 6, 14 and 15. It said, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God. And they did it on the 24th day of the 6th month. And I mentioned that that would have been in our calendar, September the 20th, 520 B.C. But now time has gone on. They've started the construction. They've obeyed God. They've reorganized the priorities of their life, properly so. And now it isn't going to be long before they find that they need encouragement. And chapter 2 gives the encouragement. Chapter 1, we found that in God's work, we need godly priorities. But in chapter 2, we find that in God's work, we need godly encouragement. And we still do today. Look at chapter 2 with me. The first encouragement is found in verses 1 through 9. And that's the encouragement to be persistent. Godly persistence. We just need to keep going no matter what. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, on the 21st of the 7th month. That would be October 17th. On September the 20th, they had begun work. Now it's October the 17th, less than a month later. Just three days short of a month. And the word of the Lord again comes to Haggai, saying to speak to the Zerubbabel and the, uh, the governor and also to Joshua and also to the remnant. And then here comes this question in verse 3. Who's left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? We sometimes get discouraged because we look at the past. We remember the good old days. You ever hear people say that? Oh, I remember the good old days. Yeah, you young people. Your parents say it, don't they? Yeah, we remember the good old days. Oh, yes, I remember when I was in school. I had to walk five miles to get there through the snow, and it was uphill both ways. Yeah, you, you've heard those stories. The good old days. But, it, you know, it's easy to look back at what used to be in the past and think that it was better back then. The reality is, however, it was better. The temple that they were building was smaller. It wasn't going to be as extravagant. It wasn't going to have the wealth in it. It, it was not better. It was worse. And some of those older people, because Solomon's temple had been destroyed 66 years earlier. And some of the old people who had returned, Haggai probably one of them, could remember that glory of that former temple. They remembered how wonderful it was. And now they look at this thing. You know, they've laid the foundation and it's starting to go up. And they say, this is just not going to cut it. Do we ever do that kind of thing today? Sure we do. We, we look back at uh, the ministry that the church had 20 years ago. I remember 20 years ago. Why we had three times as many people as we do now. I remember when I used to be in a different church and we had a, such a beautiful church building. Oh, I remember what it used to be like. Now look at it. And we get discouraged. The same thing happens today. I remember when youth ministry had 40 kids and now we've only got 22. 
I remember the good old days. And we get discouraged. Because we focus on the past. And there's a tendency, by the way, to remember the past better than it really was. So what's the result? What should we be doing? And Haggai says, let me fix that. Let me fix that discouragement of looking to the past. Notice what he says in verse 4. But now, that brings us to the present. But now, take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage. By the way, did you notice a phrase that occurred three times in that verse? I think the, if you've got an NIV, it says, be strong, be strong, be strong. Three times that occurs. And when the Lord repeats something, it's not because he ran out of things to say. When God repeats something, it's because it's important. So, take courage here, now, in the present. Why? Notice what it says. I want you to work. Because there's a job to be done now. It's easy to look back at the past and get discouraged and then we don't do anything now. And what Haggai is saying is, forget the past, focus on what you need to be doing now. And remember this, the end of verse 4, I am with you. You know, we sometimes look back and we say, oh, I remember when God used to bless. You think God died? Isn't he still the same God? Isn't he still here? Isn't he still my God today? Certainly he is. And he gives the promise, I am with you. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. And be persistent. Notice he goes on in verse 5. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. They came out of Egypt 900 years before this event. They came out of Egypt in 1400 B.C. And this is 500 B.C. 900 years ago they came out of Egypt. And God says, I remember what I promised way back then. And my spirit is still with you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, I am with you. What's the next word? Anybody remember? Lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. You know, God's still there. He remembers his promises. He hasn't forgotten. Notice what he says in verse 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. He says, verse 7, I'll shake all the nations. Now God is looking not just to the present. He says, I want you to forget the past. I want you to concentrate on the present and on the future. Because we have a prospect as well as a present. There is something coming And the prophet says, in a little while, I'm going to do something remarkable. By the way, that word translated in a little while doesn't mean it's going to take place in the next 10 minutes or in the next 30 days. 
But what it means is it could take place at any time. We have a word that we use. It's called imminent. I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T. And it means at any moment. It could happen at any time. We talk about the Lord Jesus and His promise to return. He has said that He's going to come back. When will He come back? I don't know, but it could be at any time. And that's the idea of this. God says, I'm going to do something. It can happen any time, so be ready. That's why God tells us that something's going to be taking place, so we can be ready. Then at the middle of verse 7, there's a difference of translation. Uh, How many of you have a King James Version? Anybody got a King James Version? Nobody. All right. How many have an NIV? Aha, there we go. Good. And you NIV people, hang on. How many have a New American Standard? All right. That's good. Now, I've got the New American Standard. I need somebody who's got an NIV who's going to be able to read it good and loud. I need a volunteer. Who's got an NIV and you're going to volunteer to do some reading? Only one part of a verse, that's all. You know, I'm not going to read the whole book of Haggai. Come on, who's got an NIV? I need some help because I didn't bring mine. You got one? Okay. Now, I'm going to read the New American Standard and then you're going to read the NIV. You're going to have to read it good and loud. Here we go. I'm going to read verse 7. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations. Now, I'm going to stop there. Okay, read the NIV. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations will come. Whoa. You catch that difference? There's a big difference in translation there. One says, all these nations are going to bring wealth into the temple. That's the NASB. The other says, something or someone who is desired is going to come. There's a difference. So the question is, which is the better translation? Now, I like the New American Standard Bible. But in this case, I think they missed it. I think the NIV is a better translation. Because I don't believe that the middle of verse 7 is talking about the nations all bringing in their wealth. I think it's explaining why God is going to work among the nations. And the reason he's going to work among the nations is because there is a desired individual who is going to come. And that's the Messiah. This is a promise of the coming of Christ to the earth. So God is saying, there's a time coming out there. And the one who is desired that will answer the questions of all the earth. He's going to come. I promise it. Look forward to the time of what I'm going to do. And God's not done yet. He says in verse 7, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, why does he say that? Because Solomon's temple was just... Filled with gold and silver. Doors were covered with gold. Silver was abundant in the, in the Solomonic temple. But these remnant people that have come back from the Babylonian captivity, they're poor. They're in poverty. They're going to rebuild the temple, but it's going to be built out of timber and stone. There won't be any gold in it. There won't be any silver in it. But God is saying, this temple which you're building right now, it's going to have silver. It's going to have gold because I control that kind of stuff. And by the way, it did. 
It took place hundreds of years later. Because it was this temple that Zerubbabel built. It was this temple that this remnant built in 520 B.C. It was that temple that was so insignificant at the time that Herod the Great beautified and turned into one of the wonders of the ancient world. God used Herod, who by the way was a little bit low on the standard of godliness. God used Herod to beautify his temple And gold and silver was abundant in the temple at the time the Lord Jesus was upon this earth. God says, that shouldn't surprise you. I control the gold and silver, and he does. He even controls your 401k, believe it or not. So be persistent. God knows what he's doing. In addition to that, verse 9 says, The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Because, he says in verse 9, in this place I shall give peace. Solomon. By the way, the name Solomon comes, it's related to the Hebrew word for shalom. You ever hear that word? Which means peace. And Solomon in all of the glory of his temple never really achieved the peace that God wanted to be achieved. But this temple that Zerubbabel is building... God says, I want you to look forward into the future because there's going to be in that temple the peace that culminates all that I desire. And when did that take place? When the Lord Jesus walked in its precincts. Remember Isaiah chapter 9 says that one of the names of of Jesus when he comes to this earth as far as God is concerned He shall be called the Prince of Peace. Incarnate peace itself in the person of Christ walked in the temple. God says, keep your eyes on what I'm doing. Be persistent. Keep your eyes here. Look to the future, what I'm going to be accomplishing. And be encouraged. If we get our focus right, it does a lot to eliminate discouragement. But God isn't done yet. Neither is Malachi. We move on in verse 10 and following. Notice in verse 10 it says, On the 24th of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, and this moves us to December the 16th. Now we've gone two more months. We've gone from October to December. Now we're going to get another encouragement. And this is an encouragement to godly purity. God says, I want you to be persistent. I want you to serve me. I want you to keep your eyes focused where they need to be. But I also want you to be pure. And notice what what Haggai does. In verse 11, he says, ask the priests for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and that meat touches bread, or if it touches cooked food, or if it touches wine, or if it touches oil, or any other food, does that other food become holy? So let's imagine that I've got some special meat that I have prepared for sacrifice to God. It is designed as an offering to Him. Back in the Old Testament, this was common. So I have that special meat, and I'm trying to get it to the altar, and it's hot, and I'm, you know, so I take my garment, and I'm I'm carrying it. Put it in the fold of my garment and I'm carrying it. 
I'm carrying it to the place where I'm going to sacrifice it and offer it to God. And along the way, I bump into you. And you're carrying a, a loaf of bread. And you, your loaf of bread bumps into my piece of meat. So is your loaf of bread now made pure so that it can be sacrificed? And the answer is no. Purity does not transfer. Holiness does not go from one thing to another. It would be similar to, um, let's suppose that you have a friend or maybe, maybe you yourself. You're here and you're not a Christian. You've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior. And you and I are walking down the street together and you bump up against me. So does that make you a Christian because you bumped me? No. You know, that, it's not transmitted that way. It doesn't work that way. You have to have purity in your own. To have a right relationship with God, you have to make that an individual matter. You say, well, I'm married to a Christian. That counts. No, it doesn't. That won't get you into heaven. Well, my kids go to church, therefore I'm okay. No, that doesn't work either. Well, my dad trusted Christ, therefore I'm a Christian. No, you're not. You have to have a personal relationship with God. And that's Haggai's point. Purity is not transmitted from one thing, one person to another. It's an individual matter. Now, in contrast to that, notice what he says in verse 13. Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, does the latter become unclean? So, you know, I've I've been out burying somebody. And I've got the, the, the parts of that dead body on my hands. And now you come near me with a loaf of bread. And I say, here, let me help you. And I'll carry your loaf of bread. No, I don't think I want that. Nah, forget it. You know, wait till you wash your hands. Because uncleanness is transmitted. You ever get near somebody that's got a bad cold? And they sneeze at you? Doesn't that make you feel good? Somebody's got the flu and they're standing right next to you. Don't breathe on me. Have you ever noticed that disease is contagious? Why doesn't it go the other way around? You know, if, if you've got the flu and, I'm, and I don't, I'm healthy, why doesn't my health, con, why isn't health contagious? Have you ever wondered that? It would be great if health was contagious. But it isn't. It is easy to get polluted with the things of the world, isn't it? It's easy to lose our purity. It's easy to lose our relationship with God. And Haggai says you need to watch out. You need to make sure of your relationship to the Lord. You need to make sure that you're not contaminated by that which is evil. Maintain a right relationship with God. And in this day and age in which we live, I think the the possibilities for contamination by evil are even more than they were back in Haggai's day. He's saying you need to be pure. You want to serve God. You want to have a right relationship to God. Yes, you need to be persistent in serving Him, looking forward to what He's going to be doing out there in the future, but you need to maintain your purity now. You need to trust Him. You need to walk with Him. You need to make sure that your heart is clean before Him. Verse 15, down through the end of the chapter. 
we come to the next part of the, 15 through 19. We come to Haggai's explanation as to the chastisement that they'd had in the past because they weren't clean. And he reviews what happened in chapter 1. He talks about how God had chastised them. But he had not blessed their efforts. And then notice at the end of verse 19, God says, from this day on, I will bless you. Now that they've determined that they're going to walk with him. Now that they've determined that they're going to have a purity of life. Now that they've determined they're going to give their lives fully to him and work for him in this day in which they find themselves. He says, I'll bless you. You see, when you give your life to God, he blesses. Now that does not necessarily mean that you're going to be trouble free. That doesn't necessarily mean you're suddenly going to get rich. It doesn't necessarily mean all your problems are going to disappear. But it does give you the assurance of his presence in your life. Of his direction for your daily steps. And the confidence of an eternal future with him. Which leads us into the third encouragement. In verses 20 through 23. This one's aimed specifically at Zerubbabel. It's aimed specifically at the leadership. I believe it's aimed specifically at the leadership because if the leadership gets discouraged, then everybody gets discouraged. You ever notice that? You know, when the leader is encouraged and he's excited and looking forward to all the wonderful things God is doing, it, it, it just kind of enthuses the whole congregation, the whole people. But when the leader himself says, oh, woe is me, life is so hard, nobody loves me. Maybe you heard the story about the fellow that he was about getting up on Sunday morning and he was getting ready to go to church. And he he looks at his wife and he says, I'm not going to go to church today. His wife says, well, why not? They don't like me at that church. He says, I, I, I've heard people saying bad things about me. I've heard people talking about me. They, they don't like me at that church. I, I, I think I'm just, I'm not going to go to church today. Honey, you need to go to church and I can tell you two reasons why you need to go to church. Oh yeah? Well, what are they? Well, first of all, you're 40 years old and as a mature individual, you should be able to handle criticism that comes your way. And secondly, you're the pastor. <laughs> You think that ever happens to pastors? You think they ever get up in the morning and say, I don't want to go to church? Now, I hope it's not happened to Pastor Joe. And if it is, if it does, you make sure that you encourage him. And by the way, there are certain ways you can encourage your pastor and there are certain ways you, you shouldn't. For example, on Sunday morning, just before he gets ready to preach, you walk up to him and you say, Pastor Joe, I'm with you, no matter what the rest of them are saying. <laughs> that doesn't work. You know, that just, that just, that won't cut it. See? But the leadership needs to be encouraged. And so God does. He's got encouragement aimed right at Zerubbabel. Notice what it says in verse 20. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day. That's, again, December the 16th. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. You know, we here on this earth, we need the assurance, we need the encouragement when we're serving the Lord that we serve a big God. Do you believe we serve a big God? We do. 
We serve a God who's so big that if he wants to, he can shake the whole heaven. And he can rumble this earth. Did you hear there was an earthquake on Mount Rainier yesterday? Did anybody feel it? Did you? Okay. I didn't feel a thing. I didn't know it was there until I was watching the news last night. But they say you don't have to worry. Mount Rainier is not going to explode today. That's what they say. So, so don't worry. But, you know, we, we look at a mountain like St. Helens or Rainier and we think, oh my. Listen, God can shake the whole world if he wants to. He can destroy the heavens if he so chooses. We serve a big God. Zerubbabel needs to remember that. And so do we. Notice what he says next. Verse 22, he says, I overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms and the nations. I overthrow chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders. And we'll go down everyone by the sword of another. God says, I control armies. I know, we've got, you know, people tell us that we have in this country the greatest army in the world. And it's easy for us to trust our army. You know, if God wanted to, he could take us down in a flash. He's done it with other nations and he could do it with this one. We say, yes, but what about all those evil people that are out there and and isn't anybody controlling them? God says, I can control them all. They are all under my direction. Keep Keep your focus right. So when we have little difficulties among us, just remember, God is able to control whole nations if he so chooses. So he can certainly take care of the little problems that affect us. So be encouraged. And God's not done yet. Verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I'll take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I've chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. A signet ring. That was the official ring of authority. Uh, now, the only ring I wear is a wedding band. But back in ancient times, if you were a king or something like that, you had a, a special ring. And when you issued a decree, an order, having your authority, you could take uh, that ring and you'd put it on a little piece of wax on a paper that your decree was on. And you'd take your ring and you would imprint it into that wax. And it guaranteed that the authority that you had was behind that decree. It represented authority. An example of it is when the Pharisees came to Pilate. And they wanted him to seal the tomb where Christ was. Now do you think that Pilate got 40 gallons of cement and had it cemented in so it would be sealed tight? No, that's not what he did. All he had to do was take some wax and put it on the stone by the grave and take his signet ring and go like that. And what that said was, the power of the Roman government says, don't mess with this tomb. And that's all he had to do, and that's what he did. By the way, that didn't stop the angel. He rolled the stove back anyway. You notice that? Jesus still rose from the dead. Because God is overpowering nations. But God says to Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like a signet ring. I'm going to give you authority and power. I'm going to give you the ability to rule. How did that happen? And when? Because Zerubbabel died and never was a king. 
Zerubbabel died and never had power. He was always subservient to the Persian Empire. He was never the top guy. He was always down at the bottom. And he died and got buried and it was over. So how does God fulfill his promise? He fulfills his promise in two ways. If you read Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, there in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 1 verse 12, you will find Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. He is in the ancestry of none other than Christ our Lord. And Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But I believe it goes a step further than that. Because God in that future day when he sets up his kingdom upon this earth will reward his servants. And in that future kingdom, when he rewards his servants, one who will be rewarded is Zerubbabel. And he will have a position of authority in the very kingdom of God itself. And God rewards you and me. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus promises that those of us who have trusted him are going to sit with him on his throne. Paul said five different in, in, in different passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that he was looking forward to the time when God was going to reward him and give him crowns as a result of his service. God rewards you and me. So be encouraged. Be encouraged as you look at what God can do today because he's with you. Be persistent. Be encouraged as you examine your life because it's possible that you can be pure in the very eyes of God himself because of what he's accomplished through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And look forward to the prospect of his reward. Be encouraged. God keeps track. And if you're faithful to him now, he's going to reward you then. So be encouraged. It is a good work that we are doing. And God knows. And God is with us in the process. Be encouraged. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done in our lives through Jesus Christ. Haggai wrote these words 2,500 years ago, and we can understand them so much more clear even than he could. Because we live after the Lord Jesus came to this earth. We understand how he walked in the temple. How the Prince of Peace lived in this earth and died for us. We understand the prospects of the future. Because Jesus is coming again. 
to receive us to himself. And Lord, you've given us a work to do today. We're not building a physical temple structure like the Jews did back then. But we are active in building the church of God through our witness, through the ministry of your word, through our prayers, through our contributions, through the dedication of our lives. Lord, help us to be encouraged in that work. You are with us. You've given us your word. You've blessed us with your presence. You've assured us by your promises. The Lord Jesus is ours because of his sacrifice on Calvary's cross. And we can have a right relationship with you because of him. Father, it could be that there's someone here in this congregation this morning who's never trusted the Lord Jesus as his or her personal savior. They're not pure before you because they've never trusted Christ. Should there be that man, that woman, that young person, let this be the time that they would open their hearts to Christ and trust him. And for those of us, Lord, that are seeking to serve you, and we do get discouraged, hard times do come, difficulties do arise. Lord, help us to keep our focus where it needs to be, on you, on your promises, on the prospects we have for the future. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us. In the name of Jesus, amen.